Hi, I'm Ann Barker. And I'm Liz James. And you're listening to The Cracked Cup. Right, but what if we discover that we only have eight stories that we tell over and over again? That is an episode in it. itself. And then we're done because we've told our eight stories. I'm reaching that point in my relationship with John where all the stories <laughs> he knows are done. all your stories. <laughs> I'm like, I love you and I'm happy in this relationship, but we might need to break up. Either that or you have to suddenly find some new stories. <laughs> Yeah, okay, but I can't do anything interesting because all we're allowed to do is sit in our house. What'd you do today? I sat in the house and typed on the computer. What'd you do? Remember that time when I went outside at lunch? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's hard to find. Sometimes like we'll tell stories from the media that we consumed that day. I'll be like, I learned this, blah, blah, blah. Or lately I've been asking for his science input on like existential threats. So mm-hmm. everyone's like, there could be another pandemic. And someone else is like, well, the electrical grid is vulnerable. And then because John's an electrical engineer, right. he's like, oh, yeah, it could go down at any moment. <laughs> oh, that's so helpful. Thanks very much. Although apparently Saskatchewan's electrical grid is more robust than most. <laughs> mm, apparently unique... Alberta's is not. So we should not talk about this anymore today. <laughs> do you know that Do you know that we had a, a meteorite um, in Alberta last week? No. Yeah. Yeah. So I got up in the morning. I forgot about meteorites. Thank you. Right? Um, I got up at some ungodly hour, like seven, and Lori said to me, oh my God, I don't know what happened, but the whole sky was red. And so (gasps) if you hear that something happened today, the whole sky was red. And some people's doorbell cameras captured it. As well oh, as, cool. you know, some science places captured it and got better oh, yeah, footage yeah. later. But science. the first footage to cut out, come out was the doorbell cameras. And it's just this swoosh of light that came across the sky and landed somewhere in Alberta. And You know, this is what Twitter is for when something happens and you don't know. You go on Twitter and you search the airport code of your city and then they tell you what just happened. Or I just turn on the news. I'm old. I have a television. Well, I know, but it just took a long time for the news to pick up on it. I have cable. <laughs> Twitter responds first. Their motto is wrong, but not for long. Actually, the neighborhood Facebook group responds first. <laughs> we get we have helicopters quite often that the neighborhood circle, Facebook? circle over our house. Like we live. Um, I don't need to tell you where we live. We live in Edmonton. We, have a, we live in a neighborhood where the helicopters circle quite often over our house. Oh, I have a funny helicopter circling story. Me too. Okay, you go first. One day Lori was outside barbecuing and Lori barbecues year round, thank goodness. And um, (laughs) she has a a headlamp that she wears when it's dark out, right? Like, you know, in the winter when it's dark at noon. And so (laughs) she'll be out there barbecuing and she's got her headlamp on and the helicopter started circling and hovering right over her house. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, because it wondered if she was the person. <laughs> so she said, I very quickly turned my headlamp off and pressed myself up against the garage. <laughs> okay. like, I, I did not want the SWAT team arriving in our house. <laughs> <laughs> they would say, get on the ground. And you'd be like, um, I would, but it's very hard for me to kneel. <laughs> <laughs> This is a callback to a previous episode in which Anne said that the doctor warned her when she gets her knees replaced, she may have trouble kneeling. And she said that might be a problem for her as UU clergy because they frequently get arrested. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll just flop. (laughs) 
sorry, can't kneel. Flop. <laughs> Technically, they say I can kneel. It just will be very unpleasant and I won't like it. Well, I don't imagine you'll be enjoying yourself anyways. So Yeah, I think enjoying is a long way away. <laughs> no, I meant when you're being arrested. Hmm. Oh, I think arrested is probably a lot more fun than kneeling. I've forgotten my So you were going to tell me a helicopter story. Come on, you must have one. I don't have a very good helicopter story. It's just that Liz from the future here, correct. You do not have a very good helicopter story. Awkward transition to... So, okay, for the listener, we're trying a different thing where instead of like planning out our show notes and going, you're going to say this and then I'm going to say this and then frequently ignoring it, we are going to just chat about our lives in the way that podcasts that are two people chatting talk chat about their lives then because you want me to do the thing you wanted me to do from the start well yeah because here's the thing is i know that you have seminary training and so you're attached to this idea of that you need to be wise and an upstanding citizen but the amount of editing work that it takes to make us sound like wise upstanding citizens is a lot of energy for me (laughs) you know there's a very fine line between wise and upstanding and not ashamed of what came out of my mouth Right. So what I think is if you worked on your sense of shame and had less of it, then I wouldn't have to edit so much. I try to have less of it. But when we're talking, I find it rising. (laughs) See, but you need to think of it instead of thinking that you have to be ashamed of what I say. Just think of how good you look by contrast. I think you should leave that dead air. (laughs) (laughs) I will edit it down to small. Dead dead air for emphasis. (laughs) I'm including your wrinkled nose in the show notes. I'll take a picture. (laughs) All right. One day you'll start secretly taking screenshots and adding them in. (laughs) Oh, wait, then I'll have to put my teeth in. You have teeth in? Oh, yeah, but those are teeth near the the back. Yeah, they are not my enunciating teeth. Would the wrong teeth cause you to feel ashamed? Uh, These are not the wrong teeth. These are the right teeth. (laughs) It's just the other teeth fill my mouth. Okay, the lack of teeth. (laughs) Here's the thing. I have the front six teeth on the top. And behind that, they're all missing. When I had the last molars replaced, I couldn't wear a partial for six months because I had to wait for my mouth to heal. Mm -hmm. And so I I don't have shame around not having my teeth in. I mean, I went to work. Well, you should because that has to do with not flossing. (laughs) Oh, wait. Shut up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I am now an expert flosser. All mouths are good mouths. All teeth or lack of teeth are good teeth. Flossing notwithstanding. I was raised to see flossing as a very intensely moral issue. And so when Anne and I were first friends, I was like, but the flossing, the flossing, there was nothing else I cared about in a person's moral behavior so much as their flossing. You'll be happy to know that I hardly floss now. Oh, that's very disappointing. Yeah, we've had a complete role reversal. I do floss some. There was a a rash of like all the podcasters asking each other, like, what's the advice you would give to your former self at different times? And John Green, who is normally, he's the theologian, like he's educated in the seminary and has like all these things to say about how we are community and love each other. He's like, floss. I would say to my former self, floss. Man, so many things in my life would have been better had I flossed. Right? I know. We You often hear people say moisturize. It's like, uh, you know. Yeah, who cares? It's just not (laughs) uh, wrinkly skin, whatever. I'm not really too fussed about that. Okay, so I'm coming back to the question. We stumbled onto something that is interesting with zero preparation. Um, What advice would you give to your former self? If you could have like a one-page letter... That would go to former Anne, Anne at 25, that would say, these are the things that Anne at, I don't know how old you are, older, would say to you. 57. 57. This is what Anne at 57 has to say to you, Anne at 25. What would you say? 
That is a really good question. I know. <laughs> huh. I would say floss. <laughs> <laughs> you are going to care. Um, I would tell little me that even though you don't believe me now, when you are older, what other people think of you is way less important than you think it is. See, but we knew that when we were young. You just no, I did not feel know that. I, we, I heard Under it. Theory. I didn't know. That's that's the difference between like learning it and knowing it. Yeah, like the difference between knowledge and wisdom. We had the knowledge, we didn't own it. So that's why I started with you won't believe me now. <laughs> <laughs> See, but that's a waste of the advice space because she won't believe you after either. I remember reading on a poster, you have the right to not be liked by everyone. Mm -hmm. And it, it was in a whole list of patient rights or something. You have the right to not be liked by everyone. And I remember being getting that wallop gut feeling when I read mm. that and thinking, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Bad things will happen if people don't like me. Bad things happen and you need to make the people like you. <laughs> like the people, I mean, the people should like you, but you need the people to like you. And that has been probably the hardest lesson is that I still, you know, you're going to be honest. I want to be liked. I want to be loved. Those are normal things. But Learning to live with someone not liking me has been transformative in my life. Oh, yeah. And the price of not is way too high. Mm -hmm. Well, I have learned that when you are going to make a decision that will cause a certain section of people to dislike you, it's very hard to just decide you don't care about them. What is easier to do is find the people that will support you and decide you care about them more. So surround mm -hmm. yourself. Think about who you're going to surround yourself with instead of focusing so much on the people who disappoint I have a story about this, actually. There's a, I'm working right now on a sermon to do with power discrepancies, and it mm -hmm. comes out of this story, which I think I've told on the podcast, but I'm going to tell it I again think you have. really briefly, mm -hmm. about being in Maasai Mara, and they're singing this song that is the precious Maasai song. And I was like, oh, no, they're giving us their cultural song. And when I asked Celeste to translate, it was, these are the songs we sing for tourists. <laughs> and thinking about all of the places in our lives where when there is a power discrepancy, we are singing a song for a tourist in our lives, right? Like, so for me, mm -hmm. being a foster mm -hmm. kid, I think about how every foster home you went into, you didn't have any power. You didn't have anything to offer. You had nothing with which to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And so what you used was telling the people that they were such good people and they were saving you and you were going to be better now and different now. And that was the only thing you had to sell. Right. right, right. And that doesn't last that long. <laughs> and so you moved regularly. And so the words, these are the songs we sing for tourists keeps like going around and around in my head about mm -hmm. how in relationships in which I'm the power player. And I often think, why weren't you more honest if I could make the power more equal, then they would mm. be more honest. That's the reason mm. I was less honest at times in my life. Have I told you the story about Emmanuel learning how to make me read another chapter? No. So when my boys were little, the Harry Potter books were pretty new. And we loved the Harry Potter books. And they were, they were not tiny anymore. They were old enough easily to read for themselves. But we got in this practice of reading the Harry Potter books together at night. We would lie all together on, on one bed and I would read the books. 
It was so fun. We lived for when a new book would come out. <laughs> now, I am sorry and mad at her, but whatever. We'll just, this is a happy story about my children, <laughs> not about the Harry Potter books. Detach the so, author from the art. Sometimes. Just because the author is really, really wrong in many perspectives does not mean that we did not have does a good time. Does not mean that she is not right in other perspectives. People are not good guys or bad guys. That's that's what I was trying to say. Yes. Um, I will not dismiss the goodness that we experienced either. If we only accept goodness from people who have not done any bad things, you are not going to get a lot of goodness in your life. That is true. So we would lie on the bed. We'd be reading Harry Potter books. We'd get to the end of the chapter. I'd say, all right, everybody go to bed and we'll read more tomorrow. And Emmanuel would say to me, well, once Emmanuel said to me, oh, mom, it's so good and we all love it and it's not that late. And I really like it when you read to us. Would you read us another chapter? And of course, I wanted to read another chapter too. <laughs> so I said, okay, honey, you asked so nicely and we're all having a good time. I will read another chapter. So that was the first time that happened. And then, <laughs> then I don't know if it was the next night or the night after. He's like, oh, mom, I love it so much when you read to us. And this is so good. And we're having such a good time. Aren't we being good? Could you read another chapter? <laughs> and he started doing that every night. Now, the thing was, I loved the Harry Potter books. And after they would go to bed, I would stay up and read it all the way to the end. <gasps> You, that's worse than not flossing, you cheating cheater pants. <laughs> you used your privilege to, oh my, I have so much judgment for you right now. <laughs> I also would not have put it past them to sneak out and read the books on their own while I was out. So, you know, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> they borrowed our copies. Every night, Emmanuel, this speech got better and better and smoother and smoother. And inside of me, I'm like, he has figured out a formula that works, <laughs> he thinks, to make me keep reading, not understanding that I also want to keep reading as much as he wants me to keep reading. So one day, a long time later, he said to me, Mom, I, I have a confession. I, I feel a little guilty. And I said, oh, <laughs> tell me, what have you done, my child? <laughs> he said, you know, at night... When I say the thing and then you read another chapter, I was like, yes. He's like, I, uh, it's a trick. <laughs> it's a trick. I learned that that makes you read another chapter. And so I use it over and over again. <laughs> Are you mad at me? I was like, honey, this is how life works. <laughs> you know, when I give you a sticker after you go in the potty. Well, he's a little old for that. If you, you ooh, if no, you say out of the potty, give them stickers for. I was looking for like my best training metaphor. Fine. Okay, I never gave them stickers for going to the potty. Just gonna say, that. just giving a judgmental face. Yeah, but you read ahead in Harry Potter. <laughs> I just patiently waited till the toilet drained themselves when they felt like it. That's what I did too. Okay, so the explanation was: if you had beat me with a stick, honey, and said. Listen, you need to read another chapter or I will beat you with the stick. <laughs> that was not going to work out so well for you. And I'm pretty sure when your speech got smoother and smoother that I knew you were up to something. <laughs> but the thing was, it didn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. And it didn't hurt you. And you were learning how in the world to negotiate. No, you, this was part of the learning. Emmanuel has grown up to be a child who is uh, adult, man, <laughs> who is exceptional <laughs> at um, massaging the people around him. 
in a negative way. Okay, that sounded a little okay. creepy. Let me, let me phrase. Like, he grew, he quickly. We don't know if he massages all the Oh, good Lord. Let me rephrase it. <laughs> I'm putting you back on show notes. He has grown up to be a person who is good at the songs they sing for tourists, I guess. Let's just say he is an excellent negotiator. A good communicator. <laughs> a good communicator. Do you know that now I have to contact him and say, um, heads up, threw you under the bus again. <laughs> well, I'll <laughs> take the out the massage part. Don't take out the massage part. That's the funny part. No, I added out the parts where I say dumb <laughs> shit. <laughs> anyway. I have, you know, you... You used to say once a long time ago that you don't put your family in stories or sermons or publish something. When did I permission. say that? Oh, it was a very long time okay. ago. Without yeah, permission. No. Okay. I, permission. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that if you have lived with me long enough and now you're an adult and can defend yourself, <laughs> um, family is fair game. I'm just a bad person, maybe. But I don't go for permission, but I definitely go for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a t-shirt that says, anything you say or do can be used as a sermon illustration for you. And on the back, I'm going to put, I don't ask for permission, but I definitely go for forgiveness. <laughs> I will accept your forgiveness. <laughs> it's not a guarantee. that's a good t-shirt on its own. Just, I will accept your forgiveness. Period. <laughs> he was so surprised, though. That was what was funny to me, was he was so surprised that I was not mad at him for him schmoozing me into another chapter. That schmoozing is supposed to... Well, there's an interesting thing around... I used to say I don't say this anymore <laughs> because people take it wrong, but, yeah, you know... Throw it out here okay. and just... <laughs> the listeners here will all take it with a grain of salt. If they didn't have that skill set, they wouldn't be listening to us. I used to say that... What drew me to ministry was that I was a very manipulative person. Let me add some footnotes here. I have said nothing. <laughs> now, what we taught when we say manipulative person, we mean someone who uh, manipulates people to get a thing. I didn't want to get mm -hmm. the thing. Some people like to work with wood. Some people like to work with metal. Some people like to. <laughs> I like to work with people. <laughs> it's a joyful activity for me. <laughs> what is not true is that I like to manipulate people without their consent in ways they don't want, right? Like that's, To do your bidding. <laughs> right. Th those are actually two different acts. It's sort of like you can like sex, but you don't like sex with people who don't want you to have sex with them because those are actually two very different activities. <laughs> very different activities. <laughs> right. So I, I don't like to manipulate people against their will. I find that quite unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And ministry is one of the few places where you can be hired to manipulate people. It's not the only place. Therapists are also hired to manipulate people. But ministry, like, I would run the canvas because people would say, we need you to manipulate us into giving a lot of You're money right. to the church. You're right. You shouldn't tell this story anymore. <laughs> Not even in the podcast? Oh, you can tell it in the podcast, but just tell them I'm making the face. <laughs> She's making the face. But you do understand what I'm saying. I understand what you're saying. That's a skill set. manipulate has such a negative connotation. I know. I'm trying to fix Every, that. That's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen. It's like when I say, refer to myself as a fat person and people say, no, no, you're very pretty. And I say, I didn't say I wasn't pretty. I said I was fat. <laughs> that can happen. That can work. We can make that one work. <laughs> All bodies are good bodies. But the one about manipulate, manipulate is, I mean, a chiropractor manipulates your spine. Right? A doctor That's manipulates a, your body. I like my spine illustration better. Give me back my illustration. Okay, I'll stop interrupting you. Okay. For a minute. So, just for... A chiropractor manipulates your spine. You can't stop interrupting me for a whole minute. 
they manipulate your spine because your spine is out of alignment and they are helping you get it back into alignment. The big thing is you gave them consent to do it when you came in. You said, right. I think I'm messed up. I want help. Nobody gave you consent to manipulate them when they came into the Sunday service. No, but they that came is. In. <laughs> the whole idea is you say, I need a ritual around forgiveness because I'm feeling upset about the thing. And then you make a person a ritual around forgiveness. They did you survey you. the crowd before you did that? That is different than a Sunday service. No, but I a put Sunday in the thing, this Sunday, we're going to be doing this. If you want this Sunday, Liz is going to manipulate you with her ritual around well, something. No, something. I massage the words because I learned the same lessons There's as Daniel the massaging learned. again. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you're very judgmental about massage for someone who is so touch positive. I feel that you are trying to manipulate me in this instance. Okay, but <laughs> the issue about consent is crucial to massage. Consenting it massage is. is lovely. Non-consenting massage is creepy. I feel like you're not exactly. really hearing me. <laughs> I feel that trying to equate manipulation with ministry is a really bad idea and you should stop. Should I eliminate the whole conversation? I don't know. You will listen to it and decide. <laughs> I only meant for, for ministry for me. Mm. Oh, I want to be super clear. I don't think that's why all ministers go into it. And I think that's probably why I didn't make it to the end of it. I think thinking about ministers as manipulators is why people don't go to church. All right. Okay. You've convinced <laughs> me I'll delete it. But everything I've said, I'm going to delete this time. Maybe we do need show notes so you can approve what I say. <laughs> Maybe you should just be writer. <laughs> I am right. Everything I've said that you've told me to delete, you've asked me to delete it because it's too right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you said something in a uh -huh. previous story about um help help me remember something about overly your overly expressive nature. Oh, help the person remember. who said that I was too animated and it made me sound insincere. Right. Yeah. I I had a big strong reaction when you said that. That could be because I am overly animated. <laughs> Everybody on the thread that sent me messages and was at, had a reaction. To I that. attended a workshop once on intercultural conflict style. I actually reached behind me and got the book while you were talking so that I would say <laughs> I'm that. I'm glad title to know it. you were listening. <laughs> I was listening. And the first thing you do is you do a survey to chart yourself on this chart of your intercultural conflict style. And there are two axes that you get charted on. One is the difference between direct and indirect. And then the other one is, is your engagement emotional restraint or is it emotional expressiveness? <laughs> and you're on a spectrum there, right? So both times everybody in the group did this test and then they had us line up in the room by, you know, where are you on the line of emotional restraint and emotional expressiveness? And of course, I am at the hysterically leaping off the end emotional expressiveness. That's my experience. Yes. <laughs> right. That's how we ended up here. <laughs> And and there is often a significant gap between me and the next person on the line. <laughs> and most of the people are somewhere middle-ish in this group that I was mm -hmm. in. It's different. I mean, they call it intercultural because different cultures handle these things different ways as a, you know, as an overarching sense. But the people within them are all individuals, of course. And I'm a massively e-extroverted muffin. So emotional expressiveness, very big. Mm-hmm. Big distance, me and like one other person, big distance before the next people. <laughs> direct and indirect, directness, very, very big. <laughs> other people, 
way down on the other end. So one really cool thing is they broke us into groups of, okay, you direct people, go have a conversation about how it is to be you, or you expressive people have a conversation about what it is like to be you and how are you misunderstood. Mm -hmm. Super helpful to feel like finally there were, well, okay, two other humans in the universe who were like me. <laughs> but then we came back to the group and we reported. And so my people are saying like, the people who are high on both of these scales, the worst thing you can do is ask us to calm down. Yeah. <laughs> that is the way to get a bad response. Calm down. What? Never in the history of calming down has someone been told to calm down and then calmed down. Right? It's never how that works. But one of the big lessons I got on the other end was somebody who was emotionally restrained, which isn't a criticism. The restraint is just you you hold your feelings within yourself, right? You don't express uh -huh. them, especially during conflict. Um, I know. I never express my feelings during conflict. Not during conflict. When was the last time I looked angry when telling you I was angry with you? Well, it doesn't have to be angry, though. Like, it could be, it could be like you are really invested in working this through. Sometimes I might express that. I don't ever express direct anger. But. Conflict is, yeah, but it's not always anger. That's the mistake with expressiveness. Like, emotional expressiveness could mean that in the middle of us addressing our conflict, I burst into tears. Mm. Because I have big feelings about what we're talking about. Which leads me right to my point. So, the person who is in the emotional restraint category says, you know, whenever somebody is telling me something and they start to cry, I just ignore them completely because I am certain that they are trying to manipulate me. Oh, interesting. And I remember feeling this huge personal womp in that moment. It's like, I couldn't, I couldn't make sense of that. Like when I cry, it's because I have no other choice. And so to hear this person say when you, I mean, they weren't talking specifically to me. I had never cried with them. So it, well, I knew it wasn't about me personally, except it's about me person. <laughs> and this idea that if we're trying to work something out and I cry, they will shut down completely because they're certain I'm trying to manipulate them. Just crushed my heart. Mm -hmm. It also made me immediately in the, my most worst reactive sense say, you are dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> I am never going to work anything out with you because that was so harmful to hear because it felt like an assault on who I was as a person. A lot of our relationship for the listener has been Anne saying, people who see this or do it this way, they're dead to me. And then me going, I see it that way. I do it that way. And then her going, what? They're not our horrible, horrible people. <laughs> right. But the learning over time has been when somebody responds in a way that I don't understand or that I don't like, what I need to take into account, and it was the whole point of the training, is that they have a different way of addressing feelings and conflict and expressiveness and whether they're direct or indirect. And that the lesson is for me to figure out how to interact with them well, <laughs> not how to decide that they are dead to me. <laughs> dead to me is not a helpful concept. Like interdependent web of all existence, there is nowhere you can send a person that is not still interdependent with you. I think I went to the same workshop as you did. And the insight that came for me out of that was they talked about triangles. So 
triangles is when I come to you and I say, oh, Anne, I'm coming to talk to you because you're very wise and I'm very concerned about Susie. Susie is doing this thing, blah, 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 right? And I'm trying to get everybody involved in my stuff. Or trying to get me to deal with your thing. Yeah. So one of the things that they teach us to really watch out for, uh, particularly in North American UU seminary stuff, is triangle behavior. They're like, the triangles are the enemy. (laughs) And this person and in the workshop the woman said the idea that a triangle is a bad thing is a north american eurocentric kind of idea right that is a there are many cultures in which an indirect solution or a triangle based solution is considered a totally valid solution but we put it in our covenants of right relations all the time if i'm upset with someone i'm going to go directly to them and it's often the case that directness is much harder if power isn't equal mm-hmm. and so I thought, whoa. And so I went for like a year. Everybody I knew who was from a culture where they where triangles was considered okay. So I would go to them and say, you know, help me see this differently. Right. And the explanation I got that I thought was so interesting was this is sort of pieced together from several conversations. The an- answer that I got is you think that there is a thing called an individual. And when you put a bunch of those things together, you get a community. I think there is a thing called a community that is made up of parts called individuals. Hmm. And when your liver and your kidney are in conflict, that's actually a you problem. (laughs) Right. But Anne's liver and Anne's kidney disagreeing is an Anne problem in which Anne cares about the welfare of both liver and kidney, but it's a community thing. So when you say two people have a problem with each other, that should be isolated to those two people. What if those two people are bad at managing conflict? And what if, like, it's, if this conflict isn't resolved, it is the community's problem. The community owns the conflict. Sure. And I thought that was so interesting. And I said, well, what do you do about the fact that some people are always going to each other and trying to drum up stuff? And the person goes, everybody knows that guy. <laughs> like, everybody knows those people. <laughs> And so the example he used was women being hit in their romantic relationships. If you said they should work it out together, those women would be absolutely screwed. But because and possibly dead. And possibly dead. But because it's a communal mindset, the women all go for water together to collect water. And if someone is hitting their wife, the wife will tell the mother of the person who's doing the hitting. Mm. And then that mother will tell the father. And then that woman, like there is a feedback loop that is protective of that woman. And it's not always perfect, but it's better than it would be without that. That is a great example of the indirect version. Yeah. Whereas unlike me, who goes right up and says, you know, we must deal with this face to face in this moment. But you usually have an amount of power that makes that a feasible strategy. You say so-and-so should speak up directly And then you never say that the listener has any responsibility to set up a situation in which they could speak up directly. If people are not direct with you, sometimes it is that you have not earned their directness. Absolutely. That is a great segue. Yeah, okay, but it's also a story in and of itself. You don't. No, but I mean like, (laughs) no, I mean like that's that's a great story and we'll go to where I'm struggling. You know I'm leaving this in, right? Because this makes me look like the long-suffering one. (laughs) Supposed to all the bullshit I said 20 minutes ago. Good Um, luck. Yeah, I've got the editing. I've got the truth. (laughs) Okay, I'm putting that on the Koji (laughs) t-shirt. One 
one of the things that would have been on my fake note was um, I remember thinking about saying, tell me about a time when you did something really, really hard and how you survived it. So you could ask me about how I was feeling about getting knees. <laughs> Perfect. No, I want to find a way into the knees. But first I want to answer your question because it is about me and I need to think about it for a minute. Time when I survived something really hard. I think for me, it is like when you go off a water slide. So the only hard part is you shove off the water slide and then you're like, now nah, I'm on the water slide. I don't do hard things unless I have no choice. I don't choose to do them. And although no choice is interestingly defined, sometimes mm -hmm. my brain just leaves me no choice. Like it decides we're going to do this. But that I, my experience is that comes from outside of what I think of as me. Um, and then it's very hard. So I leave my childhood home or I leave my marriage or I whatever. But I the initial push, the jumping off the water slide, is an experience of being shoved mm -hmm. off the water slide. Then there is the experience of when I'm like, oh, I'm on a water slide. I'm free falling, which I actually don't find that unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Right? Whoosh. <laughs> I, yeah, especially now. Like, leaving my marriage was an exercise in, I've managed to get this life that is safe and acceptable and what I'm supposed to be doing and approved of by mm -hmm. everyone. And then I felt I had no choice but to leave. And then I was on the water slide and it was painful and horrible. But there is a kind of comfort to that of like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like I, the whole time I had a sense that this was hmm. good pain. Same thing with leaving seminary, which was also very yeah. hard and scary. There was a sense of this is hard. This is scary. This isn't the normal path, but this is what I am supposed to be doing. So then when it's very, very miserable, it's sort of like childbirth. It's like, a oh, this is just, you know, miserable part of the process. <laughs> so I don't, that's not advice. But it is a good segue. Tell me about your, your nervousness about the pain of getting well, new knees, Well, you know man. what? It's funny, though. Like, when you said that, I, I had two thoughts that I don't want to lose. One is, I think it's, there's probably an interesting story in how you define hard. Because a lot of things that you do, I think would be very hard. Like your thing about how you try all kinds of things and then you see what sticks. Uh -huh. To me, that is mildly terrifying. And so, but you don't think of that as hard because Why? that's natural to who you are. That aligns. Why is it hard? Because, because I don't like making mistakes and I don't want to look stupid and I don't want to fail and I want to, oh. you know, so. I find it relaxing right? to make mistakes. Well, and you're teaching me that and I'm getting <laughs> way better at that. But it just, when you said that, like, you don't choose to do hard things. I think you choose to do hard things all the time. It's just that you don't think they're hard. When you do something over and over and over again, it's right. not hard anymore. So for me to do the dumbass things and have them fail is not hard. To force myself not to do the dumbass things because they are mm -hmm. not proper leaves me with this sense of very painful right. longing. So when I listen to art that's really good or a sermon that's really good, I find it tremendously uncomfortable because I feel like I want to be making those things. And making those things and having them suck is fine. That's right? part of the journey of making good things. So yeah, it's that it doesn't feel like failure. It feels like that's the thing that you like. If I say that you're doing your vocal warm ups before you preach, and I'm like, well, that sounds terrible. Well, yeah, it's my vocal warm up. So it's never a failure. Right. It's just the warm up for the success that I'm definitely <laughs> going to have someday. That's interesting. Oh, I have so many thoughts and I want to answer them all at a time because I just had a really hard time filming the confluence lecture. And now I'm gonna have knee surgery and all of these things are squashing my brain. Um, Tell the people. But I had one more thought about the thing that you said, and that's that mm -hmm. idea of going down the water slide. 
And you were talking about needing to be shoved to get out of the gate. Yep. But then when you're on the way down, it doesn't, it starts to not feel so bad. And I had this uh -huh. feeling, because I'm riding down the water slide with you in my head, of, oh, there's a point on the water slide where I start to think something really cool is going to happen here. Also, I think there's a piece around what we define as hard. I think of going to visit a person in the hospital mm -hmm. who is dying as right. very hard. Like, I have done it, but I have only done it when I've called you and said, do I have to do this? And you say this yes, the and right then I would go. But it's, ugh. Whereas, and I've seen you experience what I experience around failure. If I stick you in the room with someone who's dying, you're like, ah. <laughs> you're very, I maybe very don't sigh out loud like that, though. <laughs> Sometimes you do. You're very good at expressing, I am comfortable with this situation. Whatever pain you're in is fine. You do the opposite of what I do, which is chirp into the room and go, are you what feeling would you like better to talk about? How can I? I don't know what story to tell you, but I would love to help How can you. I help? How can I help? Are you feeling better now? How can I fix your cancer? Can I fix your cancer? I, I looked at some stuff on the internet. Did you know about vitamin C? <laughs> that is me. Don't call me if you need any kind of helpful Okay, but anything. you are way better at that, at this than that. Now. When you are upset about your failure with the confluence lecture and the inside of you, who like, said oh, I had a failure with the confluence lecture? You did, like a minute no, ago. No, I said it was really intense and hard. <laughs> okay, tell me about the confluence lecture. Correct what I said. I did to be clear. I haven't seen the confluence lecture. I have That's no right, idea I have if it was failure or not. <laughs> so, uh, whenever, oh, tell them what the confluence lecture that. is. It's like the where lecture, but for Canadians. There, I did it. <laughs> is it not like the where lecture? Not. Isn't it? What's the name of the really long lecture? We're not going to compare ourselves because we're nothing. We're, we're little and that conference is big. Okay. The Canadian Unitarian Council has a conference and it, during that conference weekend, the UU Ministers of Canada choose a colleague to give a lecture. And the point is it's supposed to say something useful and meaningful for our faith tradition going forward. And it's a great it honor. It is a great honor. I don't get nervous. I don't get stage fright. Um, I even had the opportunity once to speak to thousands of people briefly, and I wasn't nervous. It's really exciting to me. I love people, and I love interacting with them. Mm -hmm. But I was really nervous. I was really nervous. And I've been researching and working on this, and then the conf conference got canceled last year because of stupid coronavirus. And so now it got delayed a year. And then, of course, it changes completely because coronavirus changes everything. So the same point is the same point, except that all the wraparound is different. It was one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life and exciting. And my computer ate the first 2,500 words. It's okay. You make words so well. That is so nice of you, you to say. I should more. have called you then so you could say that. <laughs> But you would probably in the moment have said, I have an app to retrieve words. If you had this app installed, this would never have happened. <laughs> no, I would have said, no, no, it's no problem. You could just have more words. In fact, these are what your words should be. Point one. <laughs> that's what I, in fact, I believe that is what I did once when we were supposed to be recording Or three the times. Podcast. I have a whole list of important words that Liz said should go in the Confluence Lecture, some of which may or may not have made it in. The Here's the sad story, Liz. The original 2500, first 2,500 words. It's about... 6,500 words altogether. The first 2,500 words mm -hmm. actually had a really great Liz story in it 
But I didn't have an outline because I wrote an outline and then I didn't follow it like we do the podcast. And then when I went to rebuild those first <laughs> 2,000 words, it ended up being there wasn't a Liz story in it anymore. And I feel really bad because I love the Liz story. So now I just need to find other venues to tell my stories. I think that I also managed to find ways. I don't think that Canadian Unitarianism is a shortage of Liz stories. It was a very important lesson, though. Y'all really need it. I really need it. I need to tell it over and over again. So it'll get out one One way or of another. the things I realized in the process is I get uh, about 22 sermons a year, just in my congregation, mm -hmm. not including things I do in other places. But you only get one confluence lecture. And so it feels, mm -hmm. it triggers my wanting to do the very best job and the most perfect job and do the right thing so that it stands the test of time and nobody ever listens to it five years from now and goes, Hoo! and then recording it was really scary because the recording will live forever, the video recording. But once I got going, you have to ignore right. all So that. when you listen to it, the beginning, the introduction, there's a little tiny introduction video all by itself. The introduction video, you can see I look like I'm going to pass out. You have to let go of the whole, it's going to be big and live in infamy and blah, blah, blah. You have to narrow your focus. So story from a, from a while ago that makes me sound creepier than I am. Um, <laughs> I'm a certain amount of creepy, but this, this, this overshoots. So when I decided not to be a minister anymore, I was like, I'm going to need colleagues. So I need, and I had to earn my colleagues one at a time. Ministers are all colleagues to each other. I need to convince each one. Oh, we're still convincing <laughs> each so, other, but go on. <laughs> sometimes they get unconvinced and then I have to reconvince them <laughs> but anyhow so I had decided but I picked one of the kind of neat things is that you pick your colleagues not based on this is clergy and they're all my colleagues you choose who your colleagues are going to be so I had decided that Tandy Rogers should be my colleague because I thought she's very she smart she is very Tandy smart Tandy Rogers had no idea she is oh yeah good, good choice, choice for, for me yeah the challenge being Tandy Rogers had no idea who I was and was in a different country and big fish in the UUA. But I was like, no, no, you're very smart. You're going to like me. <laughs> Which and we so know to be true, but that does sound a little creepy. You're right. <laughs> so I've done this a few you, you times, with actually. Me. I pick a person. Well, yeah, but not no, online. that's true. You, I just decided. I've just walked up to you and said, we're going to be friends. But um, I have picked a number of people online who I'm like, this person has to decide that I am awesome. And then I like, this was back when I was playing with Facebook to see what I could do. What can I do to end up in their feed? And then what can I do to blah, 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 blah. And so it was half like creepy experiment, right? Tandy knows this. When I met her, I was like, so I did this creepy experiment and she's very excited and we compared notes. <laughs> so it fun. has a happy ending. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, it's all good. So what I learned from that experience is when you are thinking of a specific person, then you are connecting and you write mm. differently. Mm -hmm. And it can be an imaginary person. So now often if I'm talking about, so if I was talking about the process of divorce, because if you try to say something about divorce that works for all the people, you say a flat, boring thing. But if you pick a specific person in your head. You actually did that with me in the day when you told me all the things I should put in the Confluence Lecture. You asked me. Did I say that? Who was I writing to? That made me kind of back up and think, who am I writing to? I have a person in mind who I wanted them to hear that we as a faith tradition could be counted on. And that was yeah. really important to me. But through the process of doing it, I realized I was also speaking. Well, you always are. But I'm not always paying attention to that in the same way. But this whole idea of I needed to know I was a person who could be counted on. That's what I'm always doing. I'm always telling, teaching myself that I'm a person who could be counted on. 
Okay, now ask me about how I feel about getting a new knee. <laughs> how do you feel about getting a new knee, Anne? Oh, I'm, I, uh, I was terrified. I'm not terrified anymore. I'm, I think, a responsible amount of scared because I hear that it hurts really a lot. <laughs> And that mm. many people for the first two weeks regret the decision that they have made. And that knowing that is helpful because if you know that, then you don't feel like, oh, I'm the only person in the world who feels this way. This is part of the process that will carry me through. So I am using that. I'm carrying that in my suitcase of tools to say, oh, right, this is the first two weeks. I'm supposed to feel like this was a very bad choice. But the thing you said about I don't do hard things by choice is that's what's making this hard, I think. Like, um, you, you have to choose to get a knee replacement, and there are risks involved, and it hurts a lot. And you don't always get, there's no guarantee that you get the outcome that you're looking for. And so I am volunteering to hurt myself really, really badly so that was the part that was terrifying and really hard and had to be worked over. That's a change. When you originally were talking about getting new knees, you saw it as you had no choice. Yeah, that's true. I I now totally know that I could also live a life without uh, being ambulatory. It's just a big, scary decision to make on Wednesday. <laughs> so by the time people hear this, it will already be done, right? But mm -hmm. when we are recording this, it is two days away from volunteering to go in and hurt myself really, really badly. Bring your phone I charger. I have a phone charger. I also have a very long cord and a plug-in. <laughs> and a backup battery. Bring a backup battery. Do you know like I you have get one. these batteries that look like a little paperback book? I have a book? super okay, awesome good. backup battery. Oh, shit. I meant, how do you feel about this, Anne? <laughs> There's an app for that. <laughs> well, no, this is, this is a hardware issue, but... I have asked our friend Ivan for advice on hospitalization, and he is an expert, having endured many, many, many medical procedures and lots of near death. And he has said, it's all about Wi-Fi. Wi <laughs> this is why I said that. And I was like, don't you mean it's all about spiritual stuff? And he was like, eh, you haven't been hospitalized much. It's about Wi-Fi. <laughs> it's also about food. I have my food prepared and frozen, and I'm taking it with me because um, I, I have been informed that there is not a fresh fruit nor vegetable to be seen in the institution that I am going to because hospital food is <clears throat> not great for you. And then they wake you up at 7.30 in the morning and they're like, have you pooped? I'm like, no, I haven't. And do you want to know why? Because you have not served me any fruits or vegetables. And also, let me sleep. I don't poop while I'm sleeping, first of all. And secondly, should I poop? I've parented four children. I know how to celebrate a bowel movement. I will come out. We will have a parade. Now let me sleep and I will keep track of my own poop. And please bring me an orange. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that is hard about this is that... After you have the knee replacement, you must do the exercises every day, multiple times mm -hmm. a day. Because if you don't, then you form scar tissue and your knee does not either bend or straighten. And I have never been great at doing exercises three times a day at any point in my life. And so this goes back <laughs> to the point about um, being a person who can count on myself. You can count on yourself to do this. 
You can count on yourself to do the things that you feel you have no choice but to do. I will exercise my knee under duress. I am confident there will be duress. If the pain in your knee isn't enough duress, Lori will be. <laughs> well, and, and part of the part of the great psych tools that I've been learning is that if you make a commitment to other people or publicly, hmm, like in the Crack Cup podcast, oops, <laughs> to do your thing, you are vastly more likely to carry through. That's a true thing of you where you're like, if you told people you were going to do a thing, you have to do the thing. That's not a thing for me. I'm like, guess what? I changed my mind, new information. Now I'm sitting on the couch eating ice cream. <laughs> but you are not capable of doing that in the same way as I am. This is a hazard of being failure friendly. I'm like, guess what, people? I failed. Aren't I lovable and relatable? First, you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried because it's hard and scary and it's going to hurt. And I don't like things that hurt. <laughs> It's going to be fine. Do you remember when I went into labor and I was like, I'm worried it's going to hurt? Mm -hmm. What did you say to me? I said, don't be an idiot. It'll be over in a day. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> I don't think that's what you said. I hope not because this isn't going to be over in a day. I don't I remember said, what you said. I was going to labor. I wasn't listening to you. But what did you say? <laughs> when you were in labor, I said, just take one more breath. That's all you got to well, do. that's good advice. Just take one more. That is good advice. Oh, Thanks. You also said at one point, why don't you try screaming? And then I yeah. tried screaming for a minute. I was like, this is useless. Now I have to worry about screaming in addition to being in pain. Too right. much work. Screamer. <laughs> well, then scream. You live in a house. That's right. It's fine. Lori will put in earplugs. That's the thing. That may be the thing I worried about the most is poor Lori. <laughs> Lori may be just dying for an opportunity to socially acceptably put in earplugs in your household. So if you scream, that's going to give her an out. <laughs> Liz from the future here and had her operation and it went super well and she is recovering at home and doing great. And also May 2nd, Anne and I are preaching together at the Unitarian Congregation in Victoria. So link in the show notes for that as well. And now for the normal outro. You've been listening to the Cracked Cup podcast, a Mirth and Dignity production. If you liked our podcast, we would appreciate it so much if you would give us a rating and maybe even review. And we would especially appreciate it if you would recommend us to a friend. We'd love to hear from you, whether you have a question or a comment or a comment masquerading as a question. You can email us at uuhystericalsociety at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website at crackedcuppodcast.com. If you liked the podcast, you might like to attend a service some Sunday morning. If you're wondering about this Facebook group we keep mentioning, there's a link to that in the show notes as well. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash mirthanddignity. All of our materials are licensed under the Truth Will Not Hold Still licensing, which we invented, and which means that not only are you free to use our stuff, you are free to modify our words to suit new contexts and understandings as language evolves over time. Music for the Cracked Cup podcast is done by Blue Dot Sessions, and production is done by the saintly and talented Adrian Muhajirin, and audio interference is managed by Simba the Cat. We are so grateful that you could join us. So okay. it's just me. I'm still listening to your story, but I'm looking for my story. Okay.
so that the conversation continues, so that there isn't a huge fat piece of dead air. Well, but what? First of all, we can edit that out. And secondly, when in the history of our relationship has there ever been a piece of dead air? Lori's still waiting to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> <laughs>